Easter in the church runs for 50 great days, but we know through Scripture that 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven, returning to the Father. And so, for this year, that 40 days actually comes on a Thursday. It normally comes on a Thursday, Thursday, May 26th, this upcoming Thursday. And so this morning, we are going to be sharing in worship together the story of the ascension that comes from the book of Acts. Our scripture reading this morning is from the first chapter of Acts, beginning with the first verse through the 11th verse. And if you'd like to follow along, the scripture will be on the screens behind me. Hear now God's word for us today. Theophilus, the first scroll I wrote concerned everything Jesus did and taught from the beginning, right up to the day when he was taken into heaven. Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days speaking to them about God's kingdom. While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Jesus replied, It isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up and the cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away, and as they were staring toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them. They said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's something interesting about being a pastor, and that is you get gifted a good many religious things. And I think that's the best term for it, things. It can be a whole variety of things, from a a cross bookmark, something handmade, or sometimes something like this. You'll have lovely parishioners who are at an antique store or at a book sale, and they come across a, what I call, religious artifact, and they're like, you know who needs this? The pastor. And they're right, because no one nerds out over stuff like this more than pastors. We spend way too much time thinking about and learning about the history of the church, and so when someone brings us an artifact like this, it's it's joy-filled, it's gleeful to look through it and to ponder and to think about what we learned about the church and when this book would have been used. (laughs) This particular book is actually a Methodist Episcopal Church hymnal, from 1849. As I said, this was something someone purchased probably at an antique store. It didn't come through my family, though I do have some treasures like that. But this was rather something someone came across and thought, this belongs in a pastor's office. 
So while I don't know anything about this book's original owner, what I do know is that in very faint words on this front page, it says Mrs. Lydia Clifford. And then below it, it says something that I've tried even over the last week to discern, but it's written in pencil, so I just can't make it out with the way the pages have aged. But it's something about where Lydia Clifford would have lived. So all I know about this book is that it was Lydia's, and that I imagine at the time that Lydia came in possession of this, she would not have imagined that 170-something years later it would be in the office of a woman Methodist minister. I can tell you for sure in 1849 that was not in her vernacular or her thought. (laughs) I also think she'd probably be surprised to know that it was still in circulation. And I love this little hymnal because it's so fascinating to me. First of all, it's from 1849, which makes it neat in and of itself. I also think it's neat because it's, it's tiny, I mean, comparatively to the hymnal that's in front of you, right? So in my imagination, I don't know this, but in my imagination, I believe this was her personal carry-it-with-you hymnal. She had it on her. She took it to church with her, like we would bring a Bible to church. Another thing that's interesting about it is that, I don't know if you can see this from as far away as you are, but I will tell you, it doesn't have the musical tunes in it. It doesn't have the music staffs that tell us what tune we're singing in. If you can even roughly read music, you kind of know if we're going up or down. It's just words, just lots of words. And when I looked at the index, lots of Charles Wesley's words specifically. (laughs) And I don't know, I tried to research why or what one did with a hymnal, maybe Alan will know, that doesn't have uh, the tunes in them. But I assume that when they sang these, they either knew they were going to follow the music leader that day and sing it to whatever tune they started, which hopefully was in a repertoire they knew. Or maybe they just knew based on the words what the tune was. I'm not sure, but it's so fascinating to imagine how Lydia might have used this in her faith life. And what's so wonderful about this is this little artifact, this this thing that was gifted to me, is a witness to the life of someone I have never met and may never know any more about. And it's this wonderful connection to the earlier Methodist the Methodist Episcopal Church that existed and faith communities and how they worship together. This book is a witness to their work, all because it is just doing what it was made to do. Be a hymnal. You know, I think about that when I read the story of the Ascension. It's it's this interesting story that gives us a peek into what it must have been like when the church was forming in those early days. We know from scripture that Jesus was crucified, dead, resurrected on Easter, and that Jesus came back to be with the disciples, teaching them, telling them about what was coming. And the ascension is that moment in scripture where those disciples who had been in learning mode for so long, they had been soaking in all that Jesus had to give them, finally came to the point where they realized that this was where the rubber hit the road. Now they had to take everything they had been told. They had to await the Holy Spirit and go and be the church in the world. I imagine that was a terrifying time. And you know, it makes me think of how some of our graduates might feel today. You have been through school. You have been preparing for this moment. You have been learning for, I guess if you've kindergarten, 13 years. It's all led up to this and now it feels like this big moment where you go out in the world on your own to do what you were made to do 
You know, it's interesting that the ascension appears in three places in Scripture. It, it appears in this interesting add-on ending in Mark, and about the same way it appears at the end of the Gospel of Luke, and then it appears again in what we read today, the beginning of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It's the full name of the book. And you know, we believe that Luke, the Gospel, and Acts, the book in the Bible that in our canon comes later, were actually at some point one combined thing. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily one scroll, but they were written by the same person to serve one purpose. Part of the way we know this is that the writer of Luke and Acts talks to someone named Theophilus. I don't know who Theophilus is, but you might remember this morning before we just read that it begins with Theophilus, you might remember in the first scroll. So there's some indication that there is a first part to this second book of Acts. What I find so fascinating about that is that if we just had Luke as a standalone gospel, if it was a complete work in and of itself, it would end with the ascension. It would end with Jesus being raised into heaven. But as it stands, it is paired with this other book, Acts. Now, Acts, if it stood alone, if Acts was just its own thing and was not connected to any other writing in Scripture, would begin with the ascension. But Luke acts this thought to be one narrative piece because it is put together, the ascension actually comes in the middle. It's the middle of the narrative arc. Luke tells us a detailed accounting of the life and teaching of Jesus all the way to the ascension, and Acts picks up at the ascension and tells us about how the work and ministry of Jesus comes to be the church through the apostles and future generations of disciples. It's like the ascension is in a narrative story, that point of conflict, where what we thought was going to happen doesn't happen, and the rest of the story is sort of unraveling how that is dealt with, how that plays out in the lives of those who are involved. And you know, that to me is also like graduation. It is a culmination, right? These students have been working hard, waking up early, going to school day in and day out, praying for summer breaks. And it all culminates in this moment of graduation and walking across the stage and receiving a diploma. But we know that it doesn't end there. There's a whole future ahead of them. This is an accomplishment, a culmination of work, but there will be more work and more accomplishments and more life to be lived. And so maybe it's a little bit like the ascension. It's that point in the story where things shift. And what's ahead is how it will all come together or be lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting in Luke's ascension, the very last few verses of the Gospel of Luke, it says, He, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, where he lifted up his hands, blessed them. As he blessed them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem, overwhelmed with joy and they were continuously in the temple praising God. So that's where the first part of this ends, maybe that first scroll that's referred to that was sent to Theophilus. Jesus is taken up into heaven, and the disciples are filled with joy and praising God in the temple. But if we bridge over today 
to where the book of Acts begins, it's almost like watching a movie where you've seen the movie from one person's perspective and then you go back and watch it again from another person's perspective because when the book of Acts picks up, it reminds us of what has happened in Luke, that we've talked about the life of Jesus, the things that have happened in Jesus' life, but that during this time, as Jesus reappeared to the disciples, he was pouring out knowledge and they were gathering for dinner and we kind of get a little bit of an inside peek into what's happening for the disciples. The disciples are eating a meal with Jesus and Jesus is telling them, don't leave Jerusalem, stay here until you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's a reference to what is coming a couple Sundays, Pentecost. Stay here and, and then you'll realize what all is going on. Now I imagine that the disciples at this point probably have uh, fatigue from adapting so much to the different things that have been thrown at them. They had joined Jesus in ministry, given up their lives. They had followed Jesus. Jesus is killed by the state. Jesus comes back from the dead. And now Jesus is saying, and I'm, I'm going to have something else happening again. And I, I can only imagine that the disciples are like, oh my goodness. <laughs> There's so much unknown and so much change and I imagine they were more than a little worried about what was going to come next. Maybe some of our graduates feel that today. A little bit of anxiety, excitement, joyful, good stuff, but kind of like, man, I, I wish I knew what the future held. When Jesus was there with the disciples in that space of unknown, you can see the disciples start to jump in and guess. <laughs> oh, is this the time where God's going to come back and redeem Israel? <laughs> you know, they're trying to guess what the future is, as though if they guess it right, they can take some control. <laughs> but Jesus says, don't worry about that. That's not your business. That's the Father's business. Don't worry about that. What I need you to do is to go into the world and be witnesses. I mean, how often in our lives, when we're faced with an unknown future, do we turn into worry and guessing as a way to try to control it? Like if we worry enough or we prepare enough or we do enough things, then we can somehow change the, the pattern of time when really all of that worrying is just distracting us from what we need to get done. At the early service, I shared that I remember moving to college and in the months ahead of it, in that space of summer where you're not a high school student, but you're not yet in college, and you're still under your parents' roof, but you're getting ready to go out on your own, and it's just that weird time. All of my worry and anxiety and need to control, of which there is much, <laughs> was focused on one very frivolous thing. Would my comforter match my roommate's comforter? I can tell you looking back on that, that was not the most important transition that was going to happen in my life, but I felt like if I could just control that, do you know what I mean? Like if, I could, if we could just have these matching comforters in this beautiful little center block dorm room, you know, that, that college was going to be okay, even though I had no idea who the person was I was going to live with and she lived in another state. Like I just felt like if I could do that one thing, how often in our lives do we do that? I mean, as a church. How often do we sit and worry like our worry is going to shape the future of Christianity <laughs> when all God has asked of us is one thing, go and be witnesses, show up and live out your faith. Jesus says that we're going to get the Holy Spirit to help us. <laughs> we're not going to be alone on this, but we need to focus on what we need to be doing, which is being witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, not just in our own church, 
not just in neighboring counties or states, Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. And so graduates, or maybe those of us who are standing on the edge of something new, I wonder if there's something we're worrying about today that we might just let ourselves set aside so we can focus on being witnesses. Now here's the thing about being a witness, especially being a witness for Jesus specifically is what we're talking about. To be a witness for our faith, we have to know what we're witnessing to. In other words, what we believe about Jesus is going to greatly influence how we share with other people. And so I think it's important that in Acts, the writer says to Theophilus, remember I wrote a scroll and told you everything Jesus did. Go back, read it, review it. That is going to shape how I send you out in the world as witnesses. If you want to remember how Jesus came into ministry, remember that he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, to release captives, to set prisoners free, to end oppression, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus teaches the disciples that to be the greatest, you must be the least, that you must serve, that you must love, that you must live in community with one another. So when we think about what our witness will be in this world, we have to draw on all of the knowledge of our faith that has been poured into us up until this point. Seniors, you might be able to look around the room right now and see the faces of some of the people who have poured into you over your life. Your parents, your grandparents, Sunday school teachers, vacation Bible school teachers, people who have taught you these stories of faith, who have given you those foundational building blocks of faith, who have poured into you the example of their own lives as servants, as members of a community of faith. And now you stand very much where those disciples stood, ready to take all that had been given to you and to go out in the world and pour it out for other people. You have been an important part of this faith community and people have loved you and taught you and now we send you out to go into the world to love and to teach others about your faith, to be a witness through your very life. And I know that that is terrifying. It's terrifying for some of us in here still, no matter what our age is. The thought that we are going to step out of this door and be witnesses for Jesus Christ is terrifying. And yet, in this scripture, I have to believe that for these disciples, it was as simple as saying yes to Jesus. Yes to the Holy Spirit. Yes to whatever was going to come. Because all that Jesus was asking was that they use their lives to reflect what Jesus had taught them. And so you too... We'll be moving from this place into different lives to share what you have learned with others, to be an example of faith to others by your very life. As we think about that, I think it's important to note, especially for young people who are going off into a new experience of adulthood and independence, that in the book of Acts, maybe a little bit ahead of this, 
But in the book of Acts, one thing that we notice is that when Jesus sends the apostles, when Jesus sends disciples out, Jesus never sends them to witness alone. They don't always stay intact as the 12. In fact, we know there's some disagreements and some people go one way and some people go another. But they go together. Because as people of faith, we were made to be together. Our witness is the strongest when we are with other people of faith. Because what we know is just as people have spent time pouring into us, once we start pouring out our faith for others, serving others, we still need a community that can fill us back up. And so it's my prayer that even as you go out to live into your own witness, that you find a place of faith, people of faith, a community of faith to be with, be it a Wesley Association, a local church, a Bible study, whatever it is, find your people of faith and live out your faith together. Because we need one another as people of faith to share this witness I mean, it's like in the Ascension, I imagine after that moment, those 12 that are there, like no one is ever going to understand what we have, what we have seen, what we have known, what we have been through. And yet by staying together and spreading the witness, the church is born. And the stories of Jesus' life, and the stories of faith have carried on from generation to generation. Finally, I want to say that the story of Ascension, I think, is a reminder to not get distracted, to lay down our worries, to pick up our witness, but also to put our eyes forward. It's interesting that this scripture ends with the disciples all gathered around and Jesus is ascending. Now, remember in Luke's gospel, Jesus ascends, and then kind of the next thing we know is they're happy and they go back to the temple and they're continuously worshiping God. In Acts, it says that Jesus ascends and they're all standing there looking at the sky. (laughs) Maybe they're just paralyzed with trying to process what has just happened. Or maybe they're like, is he coming back? But they're standing there looking at the sky and suddenly these two men robed in white, very reminiscent of the resurrection, say to them, Galileans, why are you looking up? Jesus is going to come back to you the same way he ascended. In other words, you can't stay here looking at what was. You have to put your eyes forward and trust that Jesus will be with you when the time comes. As people of faith, how often do we sit here staring up, wondering what's about to happen, worried about taking that first step out, not sure if we're the right people, hoping that Jesus will just come back and do it for us because that would be a lot easier on us. And yet we see in this scripture that the disciples get about the work. They stop looking up, they start looking out, and they step into their own and they realize that the work of Christ in the world It's going to come through the body of Christ, the body of believers, the people who follow Jesus, who will be filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and take the gospel message into the world. Church, can we hear that today? 
that the witness of the church is not going to happen if we don't get out there and live out our witness. That the witness of the church is not going to happen sometime when Jesus comes back to do it for us, but is happening here and now within us when we reflect in our very lives what we have learned through the gospel, what we have learned through Jesus. That our witness is going to happen because the Spirit will come upon us and God will be with us and great things will happen not because the right person came along but because the person who you are right here and right now said yes to showing up for God and to sharing your life with others and to serving and to loving wherever you find yourself. I so enjoyed this morning when Pastor Eric and Dennis uh, showed the slides of the seniors. I, I love seeing where people are headed. I don't know, it just makes me so proud and so excited. And, and I love, Tate, I love that yours said undecided. Like, I just love that. <laughs> I don't know how your parents feel about that, but it's this wonderful reminder that, like, loosens can be tied up. The world is before you, graduates. You might have put on the slide at church that you're going to do criminal justice or psychology and in a year you might be a biologist or a mathematician. I don't even know what the words are for math. That's how good I am at math. (laughs) The world is in front of you though and it's okay. You can live into that and figure that out. But as you do, as we all do together, let's not get hung up on picking the right thing or worrying about trying to control what's next. Let's commit to spending our time thinking about what will be our witness. When people generations from now come across a book that we owned, maybe the book that Dennis gifted to our seniors, in some secondhand store and they open it up and they see Ruth Fancher and the cover, what witness will they see? What witness will they see of our church and of our lives? I think that's the question that's before us today. And the good news is that it all starts with showing up, saying yes, and leaving the rest to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful to stand here today in the midst of a community of faith and to celebrate the many ways that you are present with us in all of the stages of our lives. God, thank you for our graduates, for the way that their experience rekindles in some of us that same experience of graduating from high school and moving to college. God, thank you for all of our graduates, whether they be preschool, kindergarten, middle school, high school, college, graduate school, Whatever phase they are in, God, thank you for them and for the ways that you will be present with them as they take their next steps into the future. God, we come here today because we are your disciples. We believe in the power of your Holy Spirit. We believe in the message of the Gospels and in the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. And we believe that we can be a witness in the world by your Holy Spirit to transform this world into a reflection of your kingdom. And so God, bless us this day. Empower us and walk with us as we go from this place. 
In Jesus' name, amen.